Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. I welcome this week the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe, Dr Fuzz Rana. Reasons to Believe is a ministry whose mission is to spread the gospel using sound reason and scientific research, based in Covina, east of central Los Angeles. He's the author of uh, several groundbreaking books, including Who Was Adam, uh, Creating Life in the Lab, The Cells Design and Dinosaur Blood, and the age of the earth. He holds a PhD in chemistry with an emphasis in biochemistry from Ohio University. He's addressed audiences of over 500 at universities, churches and conferences around the world. He's been a guest on The Unbelievable Show uh, on Premier on Saturday afternoons and is in the UK for The Unbelievable Conference, which was held in mid-May. So, Fuzz, welcome to Leadership File. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, a little of your story to start with. Uh, I was sad to see that the, the death of your father was a factor in getting you involved in uh, teaching apologetics. Yeah, well, uh, you know, sometimes God will use... Mm what we would perceive to be tragedies in our lives to actually motivate us uh, to doing kingdom work. Um, But, you know, my father uh, was a Muslim. My mom was from a Catholic background. She was a non-practicing Catholic. Uh, My father um, uh, never uh, converted to Christianity uh, uh, after I converted. That was one of the things that I really set about to try to do after I came to faith in Christ uh, as a graduate student. Uh, and, uh, and so it was a, a huge disappointment to me uh, and a wake-up call that, to, to watch my father die, re- realizing that I had not done the work that I needed to do as a Christian to really engage my father effectively with reasons for why Christianity is true and Islam is not. Okay. Um, and as you as you've kind of um, worked in this area uh, and obviously thinking of the, the church leaders in mind listening with respect to science and faith what are, what are the big challenges as you see them today well I think in, in in a broad sense the big challenge is to combat the perception that somehow science and Christianity are at odds with each other Uh I've been working at Reasons to Believe over 20 years. The ministry has been in place almost 30 years and has consistently communicated the message that science and the Christian faith are are allies with each other. But it's remarkable to me how pervasive this concept is that there's conflict between science and faith in a a general sense. Uh, In fact, um, in the United States, the Pew Research Foundation did a study a few years ago now where they showed that uh, almost 75% of people that never attend church see conflict between science and faith. And you have to wonder if that's the, their motivation for not entering, entertaining uh, a religious viewpoint or exploring religion, even in a general sense. Sadly, 50% of people that attend church on a weekly basis, according to this Pew Research Foundation survey, saw conflict between science and faith. So that, to me, is, is the, the message that needs to be communicated. Uh, within that context, of course, there's a number of uh, sub-issues like the age of the earth and uh, whether or not God would have employed evolution as a way to create. How do we make sense of evolution as Christians? Uh, but the fact of the matter is those sub-questions, I think, are questions that uh, can be uh, 
aggressively debated within a larger context of harmony. So that's the, the message that needs to be communicated is that science and faith are not in conflict with each right. other. And obviously you, you would have faced this as, a, as your own, you know, as a scientist yourself with, with a faith. So what was your kind of journey in, in understanding sure. the, the realities of these things? Well, as I mentioned, my father was a Muslim. Mm. My mom was a non-practicing Catholic. And so when I grew up, uh, I was exposed to Islam as a young man. And when I, my father always left it to my brother and I to choose for ourselves if we wanted mm. To, to pursue any kind of religion. So when I was 16 or 17 years old, I dabbled in Islam for about a year and a half and decided this wasn't for me and really settled into a position of agnosticism. So as a, an undergraduate student, I bought into an evolutionary framework where mechanism alone can explain the origin and the history and the design of life. There's no need for God. And as a graduate student working uh, in my studies in biochemistry, I was struck by two things. One was uh, the impressive design of biochemical systems, and secondly, the inability to explain um, where those systems come from from an evolutionary standpoint. This is called the origin of life problem. And after wrestling for several months with these two realities, I became convinced that there had to be a creator. And that then sent me on a journey you know, who or what is that creator? And it's through that process that I was presented with the gospel and responded to the gospel and converted to Christianity. So for me, science and and reason actually put me in a position of recognizing a creator, and then I could respond to the deeper heart issues that every person has through the gospel. Right. right. So um, you, you mentioned that there were these sub-issues that um, underlying the kind of science and faith questions um so what particular is uh, are the are the issues as you hear them uh, right. expressed when, when you travel around the right. both the, the us and the U, and well, the europe well the age of the earth issue yeah. is a huge yep. issue and it's it's an issue that creates a lot of doubt for people mm -hmm. in the church not just young people but people that have been lifelong christians mm -hmm. who this is an area that they struggle with because they have this perception that this, that scripture is teaching that the earth is 6,000 years old. It's also the perception that's out there among non-Christians. And so mm. on that basis, they reject anything associated with Christianity. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, when we look at the biblical text, there's no reason from the biblical text to conclude that the earth is 6,000 years old. Just very quickly, the, the, the word that's translated as day in Genesis 1 Yom can actually mean a period of time. So you could view Genesis 1 as a historical account, a divine natural history that's historical, that is sequential, but yet is taking place over vast periods of time. And now suddenly you have this, uh, that, that, that reading of Genesis 1 can accommodate the scientific evidence for an ancient earth. And we find that that alone many times helps Christians resolve sig significant doubts that they have about uh, whether or not Christianity is really true. And it's, it's, it is also a great bridge to helping non-believers uh, at least be open to exploring the truth claims of Christianity. Right. So that's so Age of the Earth. And that um, is something, obviously, that, that many have been taught in school. So there's that, you know, they, they trust their teachers and that's right. that's an issue which kind of right. drifts 
Yeah, I mean, that's I would say that's the, right. certainly the case within the UK as well. Right. Are, there, are there other issues? Is it major? Well, I mean, an issue that is really becoming prominent today mm. uh, is the, the question of evolution. How does God create? Mm. Mm. And, um, and, you know, and I personally am skeptical about aspects of the evolutionary paradigm. And that would even include the notion that human beings are the product of an evolutionary history. Mm. Uh, but there are many Christians who are deeply committed to their faith mm. who would say, why couldn't God have employed evolution as a way to create? Mm. So this is, I think, an issue that it, the church is beginning to wrestle with in a significant way. But uh, again, this is this wrestling is good if we can actually turn it outward uh, and, ex and show the dialogue that's happening within the church to a broader secular community, because regardless of where we settle on this issue, mm. it shows people that there are models that mm. you can have as a Christian and as a scientist mm. uh, or somebody influenced by science that doesn't cause you to abandon mm. um, what we know about the world around us while at the same time embracing the Christian faith. Okay, okay. So uh, uh, certainly in the UK there are theologians such as N.T. Wright who's open to the idea of God using evolutionary processes as part of his creative process. So um, th those who are thinking and, and, and conclude that, yes, the universe is old and, and evolution seems to, in their, in their view, uh, obviously they're non-scientists, maybe they try and cohere that view with with a view that, you know, right. Adam and Eve. And so they would say, well, Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve came along, they were, um, God imparted his image in them, yeah. but there are actually lots of other beings around at that time. Um, you're, you're not so comfortable with that as a as a necessary uh, uh, conclusion. Right. And there's two reasons. Mm. Uh, one is, is simply scientific. Right. Uh, as I mentioned, the, I don't believe that there is a valid explanation for mm. the origin of life. Okay. Uh, the idea that life would emerge out of a, a prebiotic mm. or a primordial soup. In fact, I've written three books detailing mm. why I think that the, the scientific evidence in support of that idea is largely deficient. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think some of the most powerful evidence that we see for God's handiwork mm. is actually at the inception of life, okay. the design of biochemical systems. We have work going on in synthetic biology where people are trying to create cells. And what we've learned from that is that intelligence is absolutely critical to make these proto-cells. Mm -hmm. uh, when I look at the history of life, there are key events that don't have good explanations from an evolutionary standpoint. Mm. The origin of what we call complex cells, the origin of, of animals or body mm. plans at the Cambrian explosion, the origin of sexual reproduction, the origin of consciousness, mm. the origin of human exceptionalism. These are key transitions that the evolutionary paradigm can account for. Mm. So I have an, a scientific orientation towards okay. skepticism, but then when I look at the biblical text, I just don't see how you can have a historical Adam and Eve as the the, the sole progenitors of all humanity and, and make evolution work, yeah. human evolution work. And so to me, um, I'm not willing to, to go down that path of theistic mm. evolution until somebody can show me ways that convince me that are uh, that are viable to retain a historical Adam mm. and Eve while still having an evolutionary model. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by uh, Fazrana. He's the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe. We'll be back just after this.
Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Fuz Rana. He's the Vice President of uh, Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe. He's uh, in the UK, particularly for the Unbelievable uh, Conference. Um, we're talking uh, about uh, science and faith and uh, how uh, we can understand uh, science as a Christian, uh, particularly before the break, we were looking at the at whether there's a way in which we could marry evolution with the biblical text. And, and Fuzz is very um, firmly of the view that there was a literal Adam and Eve and was was um, explaining why, uh, from a scientific point of view, that makes eminent sense. Um, and I guess a uh, particular, particular text, Fuzz, that, uh, that Christian leaders have to, to face are the, you know, the ones in Romans where it talk about as in uh, Adam all sinned, you know, as in Christ all are made alive. There seems to be an implication that theologically uh, there was a, uh, there were two beings, uh, two two people, Adam and Eve, who who were there at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's how I would understand <coughs> the text, and it's not the creation accounts mm. themselves. It's really how uh, even Jesus mm. viewed uh, the historicity of Adam and Eve. For example, Mark ten six, where he's mm. making reference to the the beginning of the institution of marriage, and is speaking as if there was a historical mm. Adam and Eve that were the first people uh, that that existed or Jesus's lineage in Luke going back mm. to Adam or how Paul understands mm. Adam and, and compares Adam to to Jesus himself mm. I don't know how you get around those passages mm. in, in in any way that I feel comfortable with yeah. um, and so but but to me the, the thing that's interesting is <coughs> excuse me that we do have some provocative scientific evidence that suggests there may there's scientific credibility to this biblical account. So, for example, if we look at the genetic variability of people around the world using a marker called mitochondrial DNA, we can actually show every person on the planet traces an origin back to a single ancestral mm-hmm. sequence called mitochondrial Eve in the scientific okay. literature. So there was sing- literally a, a single woman that gave rise to all humanity, and correspondingly, using Y-chromosomal DNA as a marker, we can show that every man traces an origin back to a single male individual called Y-chromosome Adam. Now, evolutionary biologists and people like Dennis Alexander and N.T. Wright will say, but but yet the genetic data says there must have been thousands, not a pair. But as as I've written about on our website, reasons.org, in my book, Who is Adam? Those methods that are used to estimate population sizes may not be valid methods. They may not give us reliable data. So it doesn't prove the biblical account, but oh. it's suggesting that that we don't have to necessarily abandon uh, science in order to embrace a traditional biblical understanding of human origins. Oh. Oh. Um, so obviously some I've, I've done a bit of research myself uh, ready for this, and I'm, I'm a non-scientist, uh, but, but enjoy uh, reading about it, um, and and I was f- fascinated looking at was particularly one of the reviews of a book uh, that takes the uh, theistic evolution line. Uh, uh, your suggestion that um, just as we believe in the resurrection, which at one level scientifically, you know, we don't know how it happened; it's a miracle. Uh, that actually God's you know, the, the miraculous in in the creation story, and that we don't have to assume that science has explained it all. That's uh, yeah, that's exactly right, mm. and you know. It, Part of the concern that I I see from people that embrace theistic mm. evolution is they want Christianity to appear to be credible mm. to to people that live in a scientific age. I'm I'm in that boat yeah. too. I, I don't want Christianity to 
to be unnecessarily perceived as mm. is incredible. But we have to recognize that the heart of our faith, the resurrection of Christ, is a scientific absurdity. Okay, we know that dead people don't come back to life. There, that that the biology doesn't work that way, right? And 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 so this is a uh, an idea that is scientifically absurd. But we know that there's very good historical evidence that we can marshal for the the resurrection of Christ. So this is a place where something truly non-scientific happened. Well, if God is the redeemer and he's also the creator, in fact, we have confidence in God the redeemer because he is the creator, why would we not think that there might be actually events in life's history where God has actually gone beyond the laws of nature to bring about the origin of life or to create the first complex cells or, or to create ultimately human beings that bear his image? Uh, and, and so, it's, it, it, yes, these are non-scientific ideas, but it doesn't mean that they're not without evidence from science that actually support that, per, that perspective. They're not mainstream views, to be clear, but it doesn't mean that they're without credibility. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you're arguing that really some Christians have gone too far. They've, they've, yes, they've faced the scientific challenge, but they've, they've embraced perhaps too much because they're in their... Um, attempts to not appear foolish to the scientific community, and actually, at the end of the day, there is a there's a mystery about elements of our faith which we accept by faith with with good reason. That's right. Yeah, the virgin birth is yes. another example, yes. and so I don't think we want to apologize as Christians for believing in the supernatural mm -hmm. because that's really the heart of our yeah. faith. Uh, but we want to be very thoughtful, and you know, the people that. I'm critical of are people that I would consider to be my friends, mm. not only my friends, but my brothers and my sisters in Christ. So these are very important conversations that mm. we have to have within the church. We have to do it in a way that creates unity in the midst of disagreement and diversity as opposed to dividing within the church yeah. and, 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 and questioning uh, other people's motives or their commitment to the faith. Mm. That has unfortunately characterized a lot of the science faith conversations in the church and that to me is is entirely unhelpful um, for the the cohesiveness of the body of christ but also um, it's unhelpful i think for young people coming up in the church to be in that environment where pastors want to maintain peace so they avoid these challenging and controversial issues as opposed to creating an environment where these can be discussed with vigor in a way that we all grow in our understanding that we may not agree with each other. Yeah. Well, the Christian faith is is kind of uh, indebted to folk like yourself who prepared to to go, um, you know, to the into the detail of of areas that most you know uh, it, uh, find very difficult to understand. Um, but of course, church leaders are, nece are necessarily grappling with the folk that you've described who who've grown up in a, a materialistic, atheistic world view and uh and they're trying to make sense and and, and for, for them maybe they need to say a little bit more than what the bible says um are there ways in which uh, say church leaders listening can can access some of this material without necessarily having to you know sh shelve a year or two to study in detail um who are the particular thinkers right i mean obviously so your your work is quite accessible yeah, well, i mean i would recommend mm. our group reasons yes. uh, to believe yes www.reasons.org mm. but we also you know 
Uh, there's a if people are interested in an evolutionary creationist perspective, mm -hmm. the, there's an organization in the U.S. called BioLogos. Okay, that would be a great place mm. to go. They, there's they have a website. So there you're getting. Uh, two perspectives, and you're letting people hmm. uh, that are uh, embra that embrace those distinct perspectives make their own case. So that's a great way just to become familiar with that debate, that dialogue. Uh, but I would, you know, say that also there are um, in most churches probably people that have this have the background yep. to be a resource for church leaders. And so I think it's a great thing for church leaders to try to identify those people who are scientists or engineers or physicians who could help them navigate the, the differing perspectives. And I think there is wisdom in a church leader, maybe not, uh, though they may personally hold a particular position, not to make that position kind of orthodoxy in that yeah. local body, yeah. but really create an environment where people can feel free to express different perspectives yeah. and they can be discussed and and, and you want to c communicate to young people in the church that these are just different ways that people mm. have tried to make sense of science faith issues. These are different landing points that you can uh, choose based on what your personal convictions are, how you personally see the evidence. Mm. Uh, and, and so if we can create that environment, I think the church is well positioned to go into the next mm. several decades and be effective at engaging our culture. I, I was uh, heard a sad story of a, uh, a a girl who'd gone to university was studying geology and concluded she had to leave her church because of you know what someone had said about the the earth being young yeah. <laughs> and she was kind of sad, sadly abandoning her faith because she didn't perhaps know enough about her faith as well but but nevertheless was and it's it you know feeling well actually this is what science is saying or the geology is saying and I, I and I can't I can't cohere that with with home so it's 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 creating those environments I don't know if that happens a lot in the US I'm not sure oh it happens quite a bit mm. we we hear a lot of those kind of stories and um and part of the problem again is that the church is unwilling mm. to discuss these issues because they're viewed as being divisive and controversial mm. and and really as as Christians, we, we need to grow up <laughs> and right, realize that there are some issues that are very complex issues. Yeah. Science faith issues are complex. But to me, the exciting thing is that um, that there are different models for how to, to harmonize hmm. science and Christianity. And those models have strengths, they have weaknesses. But out of that, I think what we see is, is Christianity is robust as a worldview hmm. that can grapple with these these issues in such a way that that the strength of the Christian worldview becomes increasingly apparent. Because at the end of the day, uh, if it wasn't for Christianity, modern science really doesn't mm. exist because the, the assumptions that you need to mm. engage in science ultimately flow out of a Christian worldview, that the universe is orderly, that that the universe is worthwhile to study, that human beings have the capacity to discover truth about the world around us, that our, our senses are trustworthy, our reasoning is trustworthy. These are ideas that flow out of Christianity uh, and and are the framework and the foundation for, for modern science. So in a sense, science birthed Christianity, and Christianity can never truly be at odds uh, with science because science is really something that flows out of a, a Christian worldview not something that is fundamentally antithetical to Christianity. 
Wonderful. Well, sadly, we've got time to finish, I'm afraid, first. But um, just a chance to, to mention some of uh, some of your books. You mentioned reasonstobelieve.org. Reasons.org. Reasons.org. Oh, my, my apologies. So reasons.org. So that, that website will have connections to your books. Uh, is there one that's most accessible than others if, if someone's new to this? Well, there's a new book that we just released called Building Bridges. Okay. That is probably one of the most accessible books I've been okay. involved in. It's a series of six essays mm-hmm. that go from the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the design of life, the history of life, and the origin of humanity that is that was uh, were adapted from presentations that three of us at Reasons to Believe made to a lay audience. Okay. So that would be a great starting point because people will be exposed to the breadth and, and begin to dabble in some of the depth of, of the evidence that points to a creator's existence and the credibility of, of scripture. And from there, we suggest additional books that people can explore if they want to dig deeper into pr- the particular topic covered in that chapter. So Building Bridges, brand new book, actually, May 1 was the, the shelf date. So. Oh, wonderful. So that's a physical book. Presumably it's in Kindle as well. So yes, people, Kindle, could, yes, people exactly. can download it almost immediately. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Fuzz Rana. He's the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe. Uh, so uh, reasons.org is the website you need to go to, um, Building Bridges. So thank you, Fuzz, very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Uh, Tune in again next Sunday at 3.30. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premiere. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 